Pastor Andy, before you leave while we're standing, would you pray this morning for the preaching of the word? Absolutely. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much for this, this day. Um, it's so, such a blessing to be able to come together. You have blessed us in, in all the heavenly places and, and you. And, and Lord, um, I just pray that, um, Lord, this wouldn't just be another Sunday for us, but that we would, we would desire to hear you speak. And Lord, we know that you speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget that. Help uh, our hearts just be calm and, and focused on you. There's nothing more important than you. Uh, it's just we just saying you are a treasure. You are our treasure, and, and there's nothing of greater value than you. So please, Lord, we pray that you would impact our hearts all for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. While you're being seated, take your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. And if you're just visiting here infrequently or this is the first time or whatever, um, I have to make the disclaimer that I make every time that we come to preaching of the word and we come to money. We don't always preach about money here. <laughs> That's why we preach expositorily and we follow it through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today our subject comes to money. For many, wealth and money are a great revealer of their hearts. Better put, a person's attitude towards wealth and money and possessions is a great revealer of their heart. One of my dearest friends in the world talks about money in terms that shocks a lot of people because he says this, he said, money's just a thing. Money's just a thing. It's one of the reasons I love him so much. But wealth and our attitude towards it is our subject this morning. It's the subject of our text. And a quick glance at the text, following on the heels of what Pastor Andy preached about last week about hypocrisy, and it may seem that Jesus is just going from subject to subject and totally changing subjects, but I would submit to you this morning that context is really important, and Jesus really isn't switching gears here. He's just continuing on with something that he's already started. And if you're at Luke chapter 12, I would remind you that from the very beginning of this, chapter, he's been talking about hypocrisy. Chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And the greater context of where we're at now is there's this growing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And it's only going to get worse. And Jesus is absolutely exposing the hypocrisy of their hearts. And now the subject seems to change to the idea of greed and covetousness. But I want to submit to you this morning that before we even read this text, there's a big connection between hypocrisy and greed. There's a big connection between hypocrisy and greed. Religious hypocrites love their legalism, they love their air, and they put their confidence in that self-effort. Covetous people love money and wealth and the things that it provides for them, and they tend to put their confidence in their self-effort and in their wealth. Inevitably, inevitably, false religionists are after the money, though, aren't they? Inevitably, those who are hypocrites and those who are religious hypocrites are after the money, and I would submit to you that both are forms of idolatry. Both are forms of idolatry. One person worships money and possessions. The other person worships their own self-righteousness. 
And so really, the, this fits quite well into what Jesus is doing here. And he is going after the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And one of the big areas of their hypocrisy is their love of money and their trust in money. But sadly, it's not just Pharisees who love money and who put their trust in money. Do me a favor this morning and think in your mind what the balance of your bank account is. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are very depressed all of a sudden. It's just a thing. But now I want you to search your heart a little bit deeper after you thought about the balance in your bank account. And I want you to think about the emotions that just surrounded what you just thought about. Some of you took comfort in seeing certain numbers there. Some of you have some legitimate worries about what you don't see there. And there's some of you in this room this morning who think it's not enough. Because our attitude towards wealth and possessions reveals our heart. In that, let's look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. So, remember, Jesus has just been teaching here about fearing God and about fearing, the, fearing Christ and, and fearing the Holy Spirit. And as he's teaching on this really deep subject, as he, is, as he is going in depth on this, someone in the crowd has, has, has had enough, they can't stand it anymore, and you get the sense that, that they just interrupt Jesus in what he's saying. And here's how the interruption goes, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, or mister, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But. But God, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Whether or not you think what we're going to talk about this morning applies to you, I would submit to you at the very beginning, at the very outset of what I'm about to say, that it applies to every one of our hearts here this morning. From the youngest person in this room who, who is only earning an allowance to the oldest person in this room who is spending what's left of their retirement. This applies to all of us this morning, what Jesus is saying. And God's word is a mirror. And it's going to be held up to our souls this morning. 
And so I want us to see three simple things this morning. I want to see the interruption. I, I want to see how Jesus gives an imperative and then how he gives instruction after he gives the imperative. But let's begin with the, with the interruption this morning. Back in verse 13, Jesus, as he is warning the crowd about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and, and he's giving the cures for it, and he gave the cures, which Pastor Andy so, so well pointed out to us last week, the cures for hypocrisy are simply, I've got to fear God with my whole heart. I've got to fear Jesus. I've got to fear the Holy Spirit. I, I've got to see God for who he is, and I've got to respond to God for who he is. He's interrupted in the middle of this, and, and you get the sense that Jesus had more to say at this point. Someone in the crowd, verse 13, teacher, you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, it was not uncommon in these types of situations when there was a religious leader, someone who was considered a rabbi, which I would submit to you, Jesus was considered a rabbi, but he wasn't really a formal rabbi. He, wasn't, he hadn't gone through all of, the, of all of what we would call today the certifications and all this stuff. Jesus hadn't gone through the process to be officially declared as a rabbi, but he was considered a rabbi. He was considered a wise teaching. You couldn't help but hear Jesus talk and say, this is a wise person. And so as Jesus is talking, this guy, he's not listening to what Jesus is saying. He is stewing on this, and he's got some kind of issue with his brother and the inheritance. And basically what he was saying is, Jesus, make my brother give me my money. Okay? You ever been involved with inheritance issues before? One of the worst things, and I see it happen a lot because I deal with, with death and, and people dying, whether it be in our church or other churches, one of the worst things that happens when someone dies is how the family fights over the money. It's awful. It's awful. I've talked, I've talked to undertakers. I've talked to the guy who manages the funeral, the funeral home right up the road from us, and I've talked to him, and he said, I, he said, I can't even begin to tell you some of the things that happened in my office. He said, literally, there's been fistfights in there. And it's not just the boys in the family. It's the women in the family, too, going after it. And, and he said, he said, it's just awful. He said, it just brings out the worst. And I said to him, yeah, it doesn't bring out the worst. It just brings out what's in somebody's heart. And it just bears in mind that, that our hearts are full of some of the worst, aren't they? And so Jesus here is now interrupted by this man. And in the middle of teaching this deep spiritual truth, this man can't hold his tongue any longer. And he cries out selfishly for Jesus to solve a legal financial matter. Now, if you're in the middle of teaching, I can only just think about this. If I'm in the middle of the sermon and one of you cried out and said this, hey, tell, you go to the village court in Johnstown and tell them that my parking ticket is not fair. I would probably look at you like you are an idiot. Right? And, and, and here Jesus is like totally interrupted and you get the sense in the language when you read it in the Greek there, and you kind of get a sense for what's there, and I'm not a good Greek reader, but you get a sense, and as I was studying this, that his brother is probably right there. Okay? So his brother is there in the crowd, and as Jesus is talking, this guy says, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's the thing. If we had time, we'd look in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is clear on how you divide up an inheritance. 
Okay, under, under Mosaic law, it was very clear. There, there really were no loopholes, not like, not like we have in, like in our system today. And, and there, there's, there's no loopholes to get out of paying taxes on that stuff or any of this. There was, there was a way it was divided up. There was a way that you had to tithe on that. And all that was all laid out in the, in the Old Testament law. It was clear. It was cut and dry. It was just a matter that these two guys couldn't agree on it. Either this guy wanted more than he was supposed to have or the other the brother was not giving what he was supposed to. Okay, so we're dealing here with, with just some greedy people. But I find here that this guy, because he wants what he wants, is impatient and he's careless of other people's time. And, and, and it, just, it just hit me as I was studying this week. Greedy people truly only care about who? themselves to the point that he totally derailed Jesus message here and he interrupts him to deal with his petty little problem you want to know if you got a greedy heart you want to know if you got a greedy heart one of the ways you know if you have a greedy heart is is that if you, you don't care about other people and other people and what they're doing if you only care about yourself you probably have a greedy heart you probably have a covetous heart and I love how Jesus responds to this. He responds in a term that, and I, even as I was reading it to us, I, I kind of threw it in there. It'd be the equivalent of us saying today, if someone out of the crowd had interrupted me, and, and rather than address them by who they are, and Jesus probably doesn't know who he is anyway, he just would have said, Mr., Sir, Man, it's an impersonal response. And basically what Jesus is saying is this. I'm not here to settle property disputes. We're not on the people's court here. And this exposes a heart condition. And so Jesus doesn't... Does, look at the text. Does Jesus deal with the issue that the guy presents? Does he render a judgment? No. Jesus what, does what Jesus does best. He goes to the heart of the issue here. And, and this man's statement, this man's interruption has revealed his heart. And so, so when Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? That's the only response he gives directly to that man. And then he addresses all of them. Do you see it in verse 15? He said to them, to all of them. So Jesus has been interrupted, and now I want you to see the imperative from Jesus. And the imperative has two parts. It has a warning, and it has a principle that Jesus is going to teach on. And here's the warning. The warning is very clear there in verse 15. Take care and be on your guard. Two verbs. Take care and be on your guard for covetousness. The, literally, it means to beware, to recognize and perceive that covetousness is, is right out there lurking. And then, and then secondly, to be on guard, to, to constantly be looking for it. Which tells me this. If you're the person in the room this morning who doesn't think you have a problem with being greedy, this message is really probably for you. Because it's those who are not paying attention, those who are not on guard, those who are not perceiving what's going on, that greed is lurking and it's ready just to grab a hold of your heart and it is ready to control you. What is greed here? What is this covetousness that Jesus is talking about when he says to beware of all covetousness? Well, I can illustrate it with an illustration from history. I love this. I love this illustration. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named William Randolph Hearst? 
William Randolph Hearst was a very wealthy newspaper publisher who had an incredible collection of art. And he had built this giant mansion of a place in Northern California. And he filled it full of his art. So this is pre-internet days, which just should help us to understand this. On one occasion, he learned of some artwork that, that he was determined that he was going to have for his collection. There was a certain piece of art that he had to have for his collection. He knew where he wanted to put it. He, he, had, he, he wanted this more than anything, so much so that he paid one of his employees to spend all of his time to search for this piece of art. And this guy went out, and after months of investigating and searching, he came back and he reported to William Randolph Hearst. He said, I found it. And he said, and he said this, is a, this is a deal like you're not going to believe. I have found the artwork, and you're not going to have to pay a penny for it. He's like, are we going to steal it? Are we going to, you know? No. Guess what? He already owned it. It was in a warehouse tucked away. And after months of researching, this one piece of art that, that he couldn't not have, he had had it all along. And that, like no other story that I've ever told, illustrates what covetousness is all about. It's this insatiable desire to want and want and want more. It's a thirst that's irrespective of need. And greed, like hypocrisy, is a form of idolatry, as I said before, and it will damn your soul. Just as much as hypocrisy will damn your soul, greed will damn your soul. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon, who many speculate was probably the wealthiest man to ever live, he had to be to support all those wives. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he said this, you will never be satisfied with wealth. And what, and what Solomon found in his lifetime was, the more that I want, the more that I produce for myself, the more that I desire. Paul, writing to Timothy, tells Timothy to warn the church there at Ephesus about this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money. Your attitude towards money is the root of all kinds of evil. May I say this to us this morning? The pursuit, the craving of wealth is a dead-end road that will never leave your soul satisfied. Ask Warren Buffett when he has enough. Ask Bill Gates if he has enough. And they will all tell you the same thing. If there's more to be made, I want to make it. And it's not just the uber wealthy. It's those of us who are, I've got to get this next promotion. If I could just get this next promotion, and if I can just get enough so I can buy this thing, I'll be happy. If I can just move into this house in this neighborhood, get my kids in this school district, I'll be satisfied. And I want to tell you, it is an endless pursuit that will lead you on a dead-end road that will lead you to destruction. Watch out for it. Know what it looks like so that it won't take a hold of your heart and leave you ruined. Jesus said, beware of it. Be on your guard. And then, after he gives the warning, he gives the principle that goes with that. Do you see it there at the end of verse 15? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consider, is not, is not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
My life, your life, is not measured by the things that you have. One of the dangers of the society that we live in and, and, and how everybody can just put pictures of their life up is this, is that we assume that people are happy because they're on a vacation somewhere or because they just bought this thing or because they're wearing this thing. And, and it, it is totally poisoning the minds of our children. Do you realize that? It is totally poisoning the minds of our children. And it's not just our children, it's poisoning adults' minds as well. You are not the car that you drive. You're not the car that you drive. Some of you, that's like, praise God. (laughs) You're not the car you drive. If you have a really nice, fancy car, though, and you like to drive it around, you tend to think you are that person. You know the stereotypical, you know, the guy my age, balding, getting a little paunchy around, driving around in the Corvette with the top down? He thinks he is something. He thinks he's a chick magnet. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not. You're just an old man trying too hard. You're not the house that you live in. You're not the zip code that your mail gets mailed to. I got news for you. People in wealthy suburbs, they have the same problems you and I do. Their problems just cost more. But they have the same problems you and I do. That's not your life. And those things cannot produce life either. And that's what Jesus is saying here. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And and, and too often we go through life grabbing all that we can in this life, thinking that's going to make me who I am. People work themselves to the bone so that they can retire, only to find out that retirement and being old really just stinks. People work and work for a car or a house or vacation, only to find out that what they saw on the internet, the VRBO house that they got, is just a shack. And let's understand here, all that stuff goes away. All that stuff goes away. Real life, abundant life is never found in things. Let me say that again. Real life, abundant life is never found in things. A fulfilling and satisfied life that enjoys joy and peace and hope and blessing only comes from Jesus. And it only comes from the life that he gives. It doesn't come in achievement. It doesn't even come in a relationship with the person. Have you figured that out, husbands and wives? Have you figured that out? The truly abundant life only comes from Christ. And so Jesus just, if you will, he drops this truth bomb on them right in the middle of this message on hypocrisy. He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And now he's going to illustrate the point. He's going to illustrate the point, and he's going to do it in a parable. And as soon as we hear parable, we have to remember something. Is everybody going to understand this parable? No. Because Jesus taught in parables so that the ones that he wanted to get it would get it and that he would hide truth from others. 
And so here's the thing this morning, as we uncover and when we look at this parable, if, if your heart is being prompted by this parable, then, then I would suggest to you, you act on it because Jesus wants you to understand this parable. But if you're blind to what's going on here, that's even scarier. He's going to do, use a story from agriculture, a story that we can relate to, a story that they could definitely relate to. And he tells them the parable, verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Here's a farmer. He's a hardworking guy, apparently. He's been a wise farmer. He understands when to plant. He understands how to, how to get a good crop going. And he understands all the work that goes into it. In fact, some people might even look at that farmer and say, that guy is a self-made man. He's a hard worker. But the truth of the matter is, there's no self-made men. Every farmer will tell you that it's just a crapshoot. They'll tell you that. They may plant exactly the right week. They may fertilize. They, they may do everything. They may get perfect rains. And where does the rain come from? And then all of a sudden you get one big windstorm and all their corn is knocked over. They did everything they were supposed to do. They worked hard. They put it in. You see, even bumper crops require God's grace and blessing, do they not? Even bumper crops require God's grace and blessing. There is nothing that you and I do. You may be the best insurance salesman. You may be the best attorney. You may be the best nurse, the best doctor. But let's understand something. The only reason that you're the best that you are is by God's grace. You don't get to decide how good you are in a way. It's God's blessing. And so now, we look at verse 17 and we're like, this, this makes sense. He, he asked a question. But, but I would ask you to look at verse 17, 18, and 19. And just look at your copy of God's word. And I want you to look at all the personal pronouns there. Who's the emphasis on in verses 17, 18, and 19? I, I, my, I, I, my. Who's missing in those three verses? Who gave you the ability to farm? Who gave you the good weather? Who gave you the bumper crops? And so in verse 17, he asks a question. What do I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. This is an embarrassment of riches. What am I going to do? You know, like, is God being unreasonable here? No. But what God is pointing out, what Jesus is pointing out is there's no thought of stewardship. There's no thought of sharing what he has. You know, there's no thought of saying, hey, I got more than my barn can handle. Let me give it to somebody else who could use it. No. The only thought is, how can I hoard this to myself? Have you ever watched a show of hoarders? It's disgusting. And I want to tell you, even respectable hoarders are disgusting in God's eyes. He is trying to hoard this all to himself. I'll, I'm going to store it all for myself. I'm going to build a bigger barn, and I'm going to keep it for myself. Look at verse 18. I will store all my grain and my goods. There's no acknowledgement that any of that came from God. And what's he going to do with it in verse 19? 
What's he doing with it, church? He's going to keep it and do what with it? Take it easy. What do we call that in our society today when we take it easy for many years at the end of a career? This, 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 some of you are not going to like this. This may be the Bible's only reference to retirement, and I want to tell you, God doesn't think much of it. Some of you are like, I can't believe he just said that. It's not presented in a great light here. It's not presented in a great light. Because here's the thing. If you use your retirement only for yourself, are you using it for the right reason? Are you, church? If your retirement's all about you, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. And this idea that, oh, I've worked so hard all these years, I, 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 that's no different than this guy right here, is it? He said, I planted, I did this, I've done all this, I've worked hard, I put in my time at the plant, I worked 40 years, I've done all of this, I earned the right to not do anything. Guess what? God says, fool. God says, fool. You see, a life lived for self and pleasing self is wrong. A retirement lived for self and pleasing self is just as wrong. It's just as wrong. You see, this guy is living as though there's only this life to worry about. Isn't he? He's living as though there's only this life to worry about. I just need to make sure I'm comfortable to the end. Isn't that what you see there in verse 19? Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We would call that hedonism, would we not? We would call that hedonism. I have earned the right to just do what I want to do. Question for you, does that fit anywhere in the ethic of Scripture? That we've earned the right to do what we want to do? No. And so God's response is this. God calls him a fool, someone who's mindless, ignorant, someone who's lacking sense. What makes him a fool? I was thinking about this this week. What makes this guy a fool? And this is the best way I can put it. This guy is only thinking about his 70th year on life, and he's not thinking about his 700th year or his 7,000th year or his 70,000th year. Did you catch that? He's only thinking about his 70 years. He's only thinking about what life's going to be like when he's 70. He's not thinking about what life's going to be when he's 700 or 7,000 or 70,000. And make no mistake, if you are alive and breathing in this room, you're going to make it to 70,000. You're going to make it to 700,000. You're going to make it to 7 million. And you're going to even go farther than that. And yet, we only live in light of 70, don't we? Here's a real hard question. What's greater, 7 million or 70? What's, what's, what's the bigger number, church? And yet, what do we focus on? The 70. 
We focus on the three score and ten that God gives us. And a fool, a fool only thinks about this life. A fool only thinks about the here and now. But let me point out to you, who, who's, in whose hands is this man's life? Who, whose hands, who does he think is controlling his life? This guy thinks he's in control, right? He is cruising on in life. Everything is going great. He has got this bumper crop. He's got enough now amassed that he can have this perfect retirement, never have to think about anything for the rest of his life. He's got it good. And I want to tell you, God interrupts our lives very often, doesn't he? How many times have you heard stories about guys who, who make it to the point of retirement only to find out that they've, that they've now developed cancer and they'll never get to use that retirement? Is that just chance or is that God interrupting? This person doesn't remember God. He thinks that there's only this present life and, and God has to interrupt and he says this, you don't understand your life is in my hands and tonight I'm requiring your soul. And, and it's appointed unto every one of us that God's going to require our souls. And you have no guarantee that you're going to make it X number of years. But you do have a guarantee your soul's going to go on forever. And what Jesus says is this. Look, notice the end of verse 20. And the things that you have prepared, your big barn, all your crops, whose are they going to be? When you die, you can't take it with you. Right? Tuesday, we're going to go to the cemetery, and we're going to say goodbye to the body of Lois Grice. We're not taking a U-Haul with her stuff. We're not. There ain't nothing left to take, is there? Randy Alcorn says it this way, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead by being generous. I like that. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead by being generous. And the problem with this man is he upgraded his lifestyle, but he downgraded his living. Let me say that again. He upgraded his lifestyle, but he downgraded his living, didn't he? Better to downgrade our lifestyles and upgrade our living. You say, but Pastor Dan, we live in a world where the government is just literally handing us money, man. Right? We live in a world where the government's just like handing out money. If you've got kids, man, you are going to be wealthy for the next few months. Just don't tell your kids you're getting it. And all that does is feed into this idea that, man, I, I just need more, I need more, I need more, I just need to spend, I just need to spend. And, and here's what God's saying. Yeah, that, all that mindset does is it gets you only thinking about these few years here on this earth, and there's something far greater. And Jesus wraps it up this way in verse 21. And this is how he ends this message. He says... So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What is the cure to greed? What is the cure to greed? Do you see it there in verse 21? It's not just like get rid of everything. 
okay? Because that might be the thing. Well, I went to church today, and I was told that I have too much money, so I got to give it away. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is to be rich towards God, to be, to be extravagant towards him, to, to understand that it's all his and to leave it in his hands and, and, and to be a wise steward of what he gives to you. God here, Jesus here is not advocating that we all be poor. Don't show up next Sunday in rags driving old beat up Chevy Caprices. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is to take your tight fists off of your bank accounts and off of your things and to open your hands and be willing to freely give. That's what he's saying. The way to defeat greed is to glorify God through your generosity. Maybe you're like, wait a minute though. I only have so much and I've, and I've got to be wise. I've got to be a good steward. And, and the Bible does say that. Look ahead in Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 22, where we're going to start next week. Because here's the thing. Maybe you're thinking... Maybe, maybe you're like me and you, you overanalyze these things. If, if, if I'm generous and I'm, what if I'm too generous and I get to like 85 and God doesn't take me home, what am I going to do? Notice what he says in verse 22. Don't be anxious about your life, what you eat, what, about your body or what you will put on. Don't, don't worry about these things. Don't sweat this small stuff is what Jesus is saying. And you will notice that I haven't once said to you that you need to put bigger checks in the offering plate. That's not what this is all about. That's not what this is all about. You can be very rich towards God and, and, never, and never put a check in the offering box. The way to defeat greed is to, to glorify God through your generosity. And where does a generous spirit come from? It comes from a generous heart. And where does a generous heart come from? A generous heart comes from a heart that understands that I'm not worthy to get any of this stuff, but that Jesus in his grace gave it to me. And since I'm not worthy of this, I don't really need to hold on to it. He keeps giving it to me, and the more he gives, the more I have to give to others. Some of you in this room, I know you've embraced this you live this, you breathe this, and God just continues to bless you, doesn't he? He just continues to, he continues to bless you. And it's not like you say, okay, God, wink, wink, I'm going to give out a thousand and you're going to give me two, right? No. Some of you give, you give to the point where it hurts you bad, and then God does amazing things. And he, how many of you can tell that story? Many of you can tell that story. But a fool, look at verse 20 again, a fool, a fool is somebody who sees only the 70 years and doesn't see the 7,000. A wise person understands 70 years, that's just the pregame warm-up, man. That's just the pregame warm-up. And I know some of you have gotten to 70 and you've gotten beyond 70 and you're like, this warm-up's got to end soon, man. Good news, it will. It will. 
And it will be far more glorious than you and I could ever dream of. And so, don't be a hypocrite with what God's given you. And the way that we're hypocrites with what God's given us is to hoard them and to be greedy with them and, and not to understand that, that God, God in his grace has given them to us and that we have to consider. Maybe, maybe we need to read verses 17 through 19 again and focus on all the pronouns there and just pray, God, don't let that be me. Don't let me be the man that's, I did this, I'm gonna do this, and this is mine. But help me to see it as, this is yours, God. This is yours. Your worth is not in what you own. Father, I'm so grateful that our worth is not in what we own. I'm thankful for that for the poorest person in this room to the wealthiest person in this room. That, that there is something far richer, far greater, and that is being loved by you, being your child. And so today I pray that before we leave this place, that, that we would leave with thankful hearts that we are yours. And for those who are not yours, may today be the day that they would come to know that the greatest treasure is to be loved by you, to be rescued by you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? I think we're gonna sing together that chorus one more time.